So fucking speaking about NPR. <laughs> Hi guys, some nerds have a podcast. Alex has a story to tell. Uh, okay, so um, remember, I think it was last week we were talking about NPR and that that um, that quiz. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Oh yeah, that that was on Chapo. Did that was on Chapo. The- <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. You got to the Chapo. What episode. the fuck, Elise? I didn't want to spoil it for you. I wanted you to find out for yourself. There was an there was an episode of Chapo where they were making fun of that bubble quiz that you were talking about last week or two weeks ago, and about how it was apparently created by some kind of weird race superior. I don't fucking know. Yeah, yeah, race well respected race scientist over at NPR. Um, he measured the size of Kyra's doll skull and. It is very large. It's Thank very you. Large. <laughs> very large. It, it has all the proper uh, Caucasoid uh, skulls. Uh, I, don't know. I have no idea. <laughs> so yeah, so that is what I just finished listening to yeah. this week. To be fair, I'm pretty sure it's used to make you feel guiltier about how insular you are, and therefore you should give more money to NPR. Like I think, like that's how NPR is I, using the bubble quiz. I, I don't know, man. I think it's. <laughs> It's about how <laughs> in Chapo they're talking about how they need to get the rich white people and the poor white people together yeah, to yeah, yeah. prevent them from getting poorer. Yeah, it's just really. Yeah, fucking you got it. it was like really. I now that I'm like thinking about it, it was like like heavily weighted towards white, poor yeah. white culture. Yeah, how and, many poor white people do you know? Yeah, and I'm like I'm three. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the three of us. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Actually, we're. Almost lower Almost, upper middle class. Yeah. So lower um, upper okay. middle class. <laughs> I keep telling Elise that there's a word for that in this middle class. But considering we still lower upper middle class. <laughs> considering we still rent, I consider us the proletariat still. <laughs> Do you um, own a factory? It'll change <laughs> soon, <true>. darling. <laughs> It'll change. Um. So anyway, welcome back, everybody. Uh, it's been two weeks. Hard to believe. Uh. So. We're going to try to go through, we're going to keep this like nice and lean and tight this week. We're not going to go on too many digressions. I'm going to keep talking Par about- Elise's instructions. That is the plan. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to try to keep tar- talking about Dark Souls to like 30 minutes at minimum because we've got like five hours get, of Twin Peaks material. You get to say there. like two things about Dark Souls and then we're moving on. It's October 4th as of this recording. Uh, Return to Lordran is starting. So people are starting up new characters. I'm still going through Dark Souls 3, so I'm not doing that yet. But uh, maybe next year I'll do a return to Lordran thing and talk about that in a year from now. Anyway. Um, you have one more thing to talk about Dark Souls. <laughs> oh, that's more than you've, we thought you were going to You've used your one. <laughs> <laughs> Sometime. For today, right? <laughs> when you least sure, expect darling. it, that sure. second time will yeah. come through. Damn <laughs> it. Uh, <laughs> middle right. of the night, 3 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, my God. You actually <laughs> describe our Wednesday night. <laughs> that's not... That wasn't entirely accurate. I didn't stay up that late. No, that was Saturday. <laughs> that was Saturday night that I was up till three in the morning. Talking about Dark Souls? No, playing Dark oh. Souls. And then I got into bed and started talking to Elise about it. No, I'm kidding. At three in the morning. At three in the morning. Just I, so you know. I did actually go to three in the bed, uh, go to bed at three in the morning yeah. after playing Dark yeah. Souls for like six hours straight. Um, Heteronormative ladies. Mm, Woo. Yeah. You know how this is. Yeah. Well, in fairness, it was because I spent all day at a wedding and I was trying to unwind and yeah. it just, okay. it went from playing like, I'll play Dark Souls to a little bit to, oh man, I've actually gotten really far. Let's see how far I can keep going. Oh, I found all these other areas. So that was, that was what happened. All right. Now you're done. 
Now I'm done for today. <laughs> um, okay, so let's go through the weeks really quickly. Who wants to take the ball? All right. Uh, Elise, no? I literally just pointed at my nose. And I just yeah, pointed at you. Alex pointed at you. Uh, this is great for the podcast. So I guess that trumps, I guess that trumps uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. me. You voluntold you. Yeah, I got voluntold. Um, so for, for reasons sort of related to my job, I've been looking a lot at various um, plays and scripts that are written to do with teenagers, right? So it's like sort of children's, teenage, adolescent theater, okay? And a couple of weeks ago, I found what I think is probably, what is probably a postmodern masterpiece. Um, is it intentionally a postmodern masterpiece or no? Oh no, it's completely by accident. Okay. But there is this, there is a musical the room for kids oh my god <laughs> if only no there is a musical would the acting be better or worse no sorry <laughs> <laughs> it is jane austen's emma oh yes no you did tell me about this go on jane austen's jane austen's emma done as a jukebox musical which I don't know if you guys are familiar with this term or if I should explain it. Uh, you should probably explain it to the listeners. I know what you're talking about. Alex, do you know what you're I know what a jukebox is. <laughs> do you know what a jukebox musical is? is. Uh, I'm pretty sure, but go ahead and explain it to the okay. listeners, just in so case. So a jukebox musical is where instead of, you know, being creative and interesting and writing your own music, you rely very heavily on the popular music canon. You pick songs uh, from the modern day era and sort of fit them into your narrative. Wait, so it's not from the 50s, 60s jukebox era? No, no. Oh, this okay. is like from the 80s, 90s, and today, um, as many popular radio stations WKMR, say. <laughs> 80s, 90s, right. and today. So, so, first of all, we're using a 19th century uh, romantic novel mm-hmm. as the basis for this musical. We're then fil- um, putting in music from the common day era, right? Yeah. Um, but it gets better, which is that it's set in an all-girls school. Okay. And Mr. Knightley is the hot senior boy that was asked to substitute teach for the biology teacher. Which, first of all, that is never how... The, just It's not how any of this works, okay? It's like, okay, that aside... <laughs> That aside, but it's like you're appropriating something from another historical context, reimagining it, and then putting, like, schlocky popular tunes in there. And I'm like, is this what the postmodern era is? I feel like this is what the postmodern era is. It's like the mirror universe version of Hamilton from the description you just gave of it. (laughs) (laughs) Hamilton was original, man. Uh, Yeah, but it was recontextualizing historical things into... I know. Yeah. Yeah. Using slocky music. So if if Hamilton was shitty, (laughs) it would be Emma, the jukebox musical. Oh, Yeah. I don't think we introduced ourselves, by the way. Um, <laughs> I'm Alex. Hey. Yeah, I'm Nick. And I'm Elise. Uh, yeah, we, we totally just kind of jumped in on that NPR story. Uh, Alex, other than listening to Chapa, what else have you been doing this week? Um, well, I've been, you know, as per last week, still playing more Skyrim. You know, still... <laughs> 
paddling along. Alex, living in a <laughs> time warp from 1995, finally travels to the future. Yeah, the future year of 2011. <laughs> well, you know, it's not as bad as it all is that. after the Third World War. Los Angeles is a wasteland. <laughs> <laughs> well, it could, it could be Gangs worse. Gangs fight for gasoline. <laughs> And we're all rule, we're all watched under the the shadow of Joe. Mad Max here. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, so, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll stop. Of, I'll stop making cultural references now. Yeah. Speaking <laughs> of uh, several years old uh, popular culture. <laughs> speaking uh, of several oh, yeah. years old video games, I yeah. also started playing Amnesia: The Dark Descent. Yeah. Uh, when was that one from? Uh, <laughs> two thousand nine. It, it, it was before. Portal 2, which came out in the orange box. No, it can't be before Portal 2. No, no, Portal was in the orange box. No, it was before oh, Portal per 2. Oh, Portal 2, okay. Yeah, 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 it was before Portal 2 because that that was one of the games in the potato pack. Okay, all right. But yeah, no, being being the spoopy month of October, yes. I decided to start playing Amnesia. I, I've started playing it before, don't get me wrong. I, yeah. I, I have played it before, I just haven't finished it. Yeah. I, and, and my computer, for as nice as it is, it's deciding to do a lot of visual tearing. Which is just adding to the uh, adding to the spoopiness of it. Oh, good. Uh, there's more stuff I did in my week, but Elise wants to say oh, something. Oh, I was just gonna say, speaking of spoopy and yes. spoopy related things, yes. and the fact that we are in October, and it's Halloween. Um, the other thing I did with my week was Nick and I came up with our couples costume this year, which oh, yeah. drum roll, please. Uh, -da 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 -da. Um, we are going as. Sexy Cthulhu <laughs> and her cultist. Yep. It was the quickest and easiest thing that we thought we could put together. <laughs> do you guys need a robe? Because uh, I got a robe. Do you, you have a robe? I do have a robe. I, I don't know if you're, if a robe for you would fit me necessarily. But uh, like, a robe's pretty, you know, ro one size fits all. Universal. <laughs> I'll, I'll bring it over next time and, right. and you'll try I'll, it out. I'll see. All right. I've been looking for one, so if yeah, I no don't problem. have to spend money on it, that would be nice. <laughs> Um, it's yeah. a nice one, too. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. I just wanted to talk about our spoopy news. Okay. <laughs> uh, so, Alex, yeah. So, what do you think of Amnesia? You said you didn't, you never finished it before. I mean, I haven't gotten past the point where I have played through before. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's still, it is, it, I mean, it holds up. It, yeah. it, it holds up as a thriller. Yeah, no, that, um, that first game is really good. The second game is not as much. Yeah, you were saying as much earlier. Uh, I haven't played that one at all, so I don't know. But mm. I guess it's I guess it's a matter of hey, we did so well with this one. I'm sure they'd love another one, even though yeah. it's done by a different team. Yeah, the big problem with it was like I I do love the dearly departed Chinese room, um, the company that the, made it. the company that made a machine for pigs. Mm -hmm. um, at least I liked Dear Esther, and I liked their um, Half Life Two mod. I can never remember what it's called. It's like Corsicovia or something like that. Um, but it doesn't really work as well with the amnesia thing because amnesia, like the first one had gameplay and like puzzle solving and like inventory management. I mean, yeah, it's got gameplay and, and such. I mean, it, it's got puzzles. Yeah. No, the problem with Machine for Pigs is that it was it's largely the same sort of thing as like Dear Esther, where you walk around and Is it like, a walking simulator? It is it is very, very close to it and occasionally a monster will come out and chase you. And then there's a gigantic air quotes puzzles in it. Mm. But the puzzles are mostly, hey, there's a gear in this room. Oh look, in the other room, there's a machine that's missing a gear. <laughs> 
pick it up and take it to the next room. You solved the puzzle. Yay. Yay. And it's like the puzzles in and the first amnesia was were not super hard, but there was more to them than that for the mm-hmm. most part. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I've not played Machine for Pigs. I really can't speak to it. I don't have any authority over it, so I really can't say. <laughs> um, but I am liking Amnesia, the original. And like I said, I haven't played past the part I played to before, so we'll see how it goes. Okay. Um, other than that, this is also Umaneko Week. Or okay. Umineko Day. Yes, you had mentioned this earlier. Please okay. explain this, because so, you did not explain it to us. All right, so um, so for those that are not aware what day we record these on, we usually record these on Wednesday, every other Wednesday, or it's going to be every other Wednesday. And this is October 4th. And this this game, I guess, we'll call it a, a visual novel, uh, although it, it's... Let's back up. Is this a dating simulator, this Alex? Are you going to tell us about a dating simulator? <laughs> this is not a dating simulator. This is not... This is not Hatufo Boyfriend. This is... <laughs> Mechromancer. <laughs> this is Umaneko no Nakukoroni, which roughly translates to When the Seagulls Cry. Who's your cry. cat, Daddy? I mean, I'm sorry. I cut you off. It, it, it translates as When the Seagulls Cry, and it's a murder mystery. Okay. Uh, the It's October 4th and 5th, 1986, on a remote island off the coast of Japan. There's this rich family uh, called the Ushiromaya family that holds a conference every year. And this year, the head of the family is dying. And all the siblings are coming together to bicker over the inheritance. However, the old head of the family is very kind of canny and hates everybody and has put out a riddle that if anyone can solve this riddle, they get the entire inheritance rather than splitting it up amongst everybody. Okay. And there's 18 people on the island. There's a typhoon. So it's it's Japanese in. cannonball run is what you're describing. There's a typhoon that comes in and nobody can leave. And as people are blowing through this, people start dying. Okay. And they keep dying in these locked room murder mysteries in ways that, you know, where there's a body in a room that's been locked and nobody could have gotten in or out at the time that the person was killed. Okay. It's a staple of, like, 1920s and 30s British books. Yeah. You know. Oh, no. They, they go back further than that. They go back way further than that. Murders in the room work is locked more. Is the but, locked but basically, the, the whole premise is that the idea is that these murders are being committed by a witch, by a supernatural force. Okay. And they happen one by one, and at the end of two days, everybody's dead. And then time resets, and the same two days happen again, but these time the events are different. And one of the characters, Battler, remembers what happened and is basically trying to prove to the witch that appears to him that she doesn't exist <laughs> and that magic no. doesn't exist. What? This is Stabby Stabby Groundhog's Day? Yeah. It is kind of, I mean, it's, 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 it's like 12 Little Indians meets Groundhog's Day exactly. meets Cannonball Run. It's amazing. <laughs> no, that and does sound incredible. Th- it's a visual novel, but there's no gameplay elements. Like, it's yeah. just reading a book with yeah. music and with text and images and, and such, but all the gameplay is you outside the game frantically writing things down on paper and putting things up on court boards next to you trying to solve these murders because all of the murders have been constructed in a way that it is possible to be committed by a human yeah but the idea is that the witch is trying to persuade everyone that magic is real and so it's trying to to solve them in a way that makes it so that a human could have done it and it is amazing it's it sounds insane it is insane it is over the course of eight books 
Um, and what? yeah, eight book like like each yeah, visual yeah, yeah, novel like, like, like each, a book. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. Several books. Yeah, in a single like book. Yeah, there was an anime, but the anime is really not all that good. Yeah, uh, they kind of <laughs> compress. They cut. They compress too much together in too short a time. And so, really, it should be where each book is like a whole series, but they try yeah. to speed through things. But it is it is amazing, and I want to reread it now. And okay. So, <laughs> now, since it's the day that it's happening. Since on. it's the day that it's happening, I can't finish it tonight. <laughs> it's it's fucking long, but it is amazing. And if if you ever have fifteen hours to spend, <laughs> which I know so you don't, many. <laughs> that's a lot of hours, man. Then maybe you can 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 experience this too. But it's on Steam, and it is just fantastic. All right. Okay. So that's not what I've been up to. That's what I want to be up to. That's what you want to be up I to. I want to be solving murders you against a witch <laughs> that doesn't so, exist. So have you ever actually, like, s- did you spend the time to solve the mystery? or? I mean, basically, I have I've have theories. Okay. <laughs> and oh, the- speaking of theories, that's going to be the last, like, 12 hours of this podcast. Yeah, we got we got theories about things, but we'll get to that. Um, but like, basically I, I worked with my grandma, like I read mm-hmm. these with my grandma and I mean, I read them first myself yeah, yeah, yeah. to make sure that this is something that she would enjoy. And no, she, she actually likes murder mysteries, like actual books, murder mysteries mm-hmm. that she gets from the library. And so we went through these and she, it, a lot of it went over her head, but some of it she caught onto and we were trying to solve these murder mysteries together. And it's really something that should be experienced in group. You know, with, with people putting their heads together to try to solve these things. Okay. So. Interesting. Anyway, that's, that's, other than that, this week has been pretty standard. It's been me failing to come up with a Halloween costume. <laughs> you could join our cult. Yeah. I mean, if I join your cult, then you can't borrow my robe. That's true. I mean, I already I... went as a cultist like two years ago. Yeah, yeah, so that's, that's right. That's why I have did. the robe in the first place. <laughs> All right. I go as a sexy cultist. <laughs> I don't think I can pull off a sexy cultist. <laughs> it's the robe with nothing on underneath. Just believe in yourself, Alex. Anyway, everyone's sexy on Halloween. That's true. Um, anyway, so what about you, Nick? What have you? <laughs> Great segue. Yeah, well, well deflected. Actually, uh, your previous thing kind of dovetails in nicely with what I've been up to. Oh. Um. So you're talking about like this is like murders like caused by a witch. Or um, is it? Or is it? Yeah. I watched, uh, we watched a few movies. Elisa and I watched one and I was, watched one together. Um, to set the scene, it was our anniversary. And like every other was couple. Oh, yeah. That, no, 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 I, well, I, I want to talk about that. I want to talk about oh, that okay, second. Good. I want to talk about that a little bit. Um, so, yeah, I was watching, it was a movie I heard about a few years ago, um, but I never had a chance to see. It's an IFC horror film. Uh, called The Autopsy of Jane Doe. And it's a really interesting... Like, I like the setup more than I like the execution. Like, I was not... When the, the, the resolution to the mystery I found to be a bit unsatisfying. What is the setup? Okay, so... The movie is, a, is about a... Uh, it's about an autopsy, as the title would imply. Uh... The movie opens on a scene of a, a, a basically a, a family has been killed, um, and everyone is found inside the house, and it seems like people were trying to get out, uh, and then they're, the police are looking around the scene, and they find in the basement, uh, half buried in like the dirt floor of the basement, the body of a young woman, uh, 
with no external signs of trauma. And so they take this body to the, uh, a local funeral home that is run by a father and a son. Um, the father is played by Brian Cox. I'm trying to remember who plays the son. He's another fairly well-known actor. Um, and in the, basically the, the son was about to go out and then he decided to stay in with the father instead. And they worked together to try to figure out how this woman died. It's a very like interesting setup because again, like the woman, she's young, she's apparently healthy. It's the regular family house. So like, how did her body get there? Like if the family, if she was there when they moved in, why is she so well preserved? Um, and then they start examining her and they the mystery only deepens as they examine her. So one of the first things that they notice is that her arms or like her wrists and ankles are like completely shattered. Um, and there's no, again, external signs of trauma. So it's like, well, if, if those were broken before, like if they were broken before she died, They'd they bruises. There would be bruises all over the place, mm -hmm. but they only realize that they're shattered because, like, when they touch them, those like they feel the bones moving around. Um, and then when they like start looking at her organs, they're charred, completely black, like she had been set on fire. Uh, there are there's scar tissue on a lot of them, like she had been stabbed repeatedly. But her skin, is but her skin is, skin is completely unbroken. Uh, and then. Things start happening, all, all these spooky things are going on, but like the the bulk of the movie is these two men in a room. Uh, and so like their relationship really kind of carries the movie forward. Um, I don't necessarily want to spoil it. I do recommend seeing it, it's pretty good. I felt that the the ending of it was very unsad. Like there, there was a moment about, I don't know, three quarters of the way through where I'm like, oh, well, this is it's this entity that's been messing with them is messing with them again. And then it's like, no, this is a thing that actually ends up happening. And that just raises further questions. Like, there's a character that shows back up most of the way through the movie. And it's like, how did she get in? They're locked inside. They can't get back out. Why is she here? And it's never explained how she actually, there's like one throwaway line about like, oh yeah, she said she would come by, but like, how did she get in if they can't get out? It's never <laughs> explained. Yeah. Um, but there, the ending of it, like there's a, there's a kind of a stinger right at the end. That's pretty good. Um, but you know, it wasn't, it wasn't amazing, but if you've never seen it before, I, I honestly feel like at this point in time, like the last five years or so has seen so many like really good horror movie releases. Uh, the witch it follows. Uh, I've heard a lot of really let good, the right one, let in. the right one. In. Well, that was a little bit, that was, that was about 10 years was ago at this point. Ago? Yeah. It was the original. Mm. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, the, the remake is all right, but it's not, it did go with the original. Um, the, uh, Oh God, what was that movie called? Um, your next from what I hear is really good. I haven't still haven't seen that one yet. But, and the fact that this movie is merely okay now is actually says a lot. Like there's a lot of really strong performances. There's some pretty neat effects. Um, they don't rely too heavily on jump scares. It builds mostly on atmosphere. So that one was really good. Um, and then, yeah, at least if you want to set the stage for the other oh. movie that we watched. So, so Nick watched um, the 
the autopsy of Jane Doe while I was at work thing. And then we came back and, you know, like every other couple on their anniversary, we ended up getting five guys and watching a horror film. Yeah. It wasn't really yeah. a horror film, though. That wasn't really a horror film. It was really interesting. So Although it's interesting that you went to Five Guys. I went to Five Guys, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, I mean... We, He's an entity messing with us, making us make the same choices. Oh, my God! Both, or both Elise and I have had, like, really stressful... Like, the last month was really stressful, and yeah. so we didn't really want to do anything super fancy for our anniversary. We are just like... Let's just go get some fast food and sit on the couch together. <laughs> Which, to be fair, I don't think we had done, like, ad, like for a month at that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the movie that we ended up watching is called Colossal, which stars um, oh, Anne Hathaway. Anne Hathaway, thank you. <clears throat> and Paul Rudd? No. I, no. I don't... There, no, it was Paul Rudd. It was, it Paul, was Paul Rudd. It was Paul Rudd. It was Paul Rudd. Go check. So Anne... So Anne Hathaway plays a young woman uh, who is kind of the quintessential party girl, uh, sort of, you know, I, I don't know, like drifting her way through life. She's got like a hot boyfriend with a ambiguous job that makes them a lot of money so they can have a really nice apartment in Manhattan. Is it drugs? Um, probably. Okay. Um, so, she, you know, she's a crazy party girl. She comes in at like, like you know, 8.30 in the morning while he's just about to leave for work and what is her crazy life? And eventually, like, kind of within the first scene, um, so I don't feel like this is a spoiler. No, is that's definitely not a spoiler. They break up. Um, and so she is forced to move back home. Um, her parents are ambiguously not at her childhood home. They're, like, <laughs> renting it out. Yeah, yeah. And then she runs into Paul Rudd's character who plays the archetypal nice guy and if you get a chance to watch this film watch this film and then follow it up with the slate uh slate did ended up doing a piece specifically about paul rudd's character um and how the scariest thing is really a toxic masculinity yeah (laughs) which is Uh, the moral of that story it's not it's not uh, paul rudd i'm sorry it's it's uh, jason sudeikis i i feel like they're interchangeable at this point yeah um (laughs) So basically, the, the the premise, and this isn't giving a whole lot away either, I don't think. Um, the premise of the movie is, like, after she moves home, uh, this monster suddenly appears above Seoul, South Korea. Kaiju! Uh, uh, yeah, it's a giant, it's a, it's a daikaiju. Uh, and as things go along, it kind of turns out that... Anne Hathaway's character has this connection with this monster. Like, they're, they're sort of the same entity in some ways. Um, and is your monster ravaging Seoul, South Korea? (laughs) (laughs) And it's, it's kind of like, I don't know. How would we describe the genre for this? It's like magical realism kind of. Yeah. It's like a magical realism horror film. That's also like the spiritual sequel to 500 days of summer. I don't know because like Anne Hathaway's character is this sort of quintessential party girl, but also like very much the manic pixie dream girl just sort of gets, you know, drifting through life and whatever. And but other people, but like in 500 days of summer, you have other people, particularly men projecting their ideas of her onto her. I I, Um, I feel like it's much, much 
darker, though, because, like, it Oh, deals... you know Zoe Deschanel became an alcoholic after that movie ended, so... Yeah, nah. that's true. Yeah, but it does... <laughs> it deals with, like, a lot of issues about, like, addiction and control and all yeah. this stuff. And, like, the, if you look at the advertising for this movie, it looks like... Oh, it does look very much like 500 Days of Summer or, like, uh, w- w- fucking... What was that movie called? Um, the Hamburger Phone. Oh, um, Juno. Juno, thank you. Yeah, it does kind of look like that in the way that they advertise do it. Do they not mention the monster at all? No, they do. Oh, okay. Like, they, they do mention they mention it, but it's like... In the advertising. Yeah, in the advertising. Okay. But it's still very much like, you know, you see these two characters sitting on a bench and laughing, and then, like, the last act of the movie becomes, like, I don't know misery or something like it's like it's a domestic it, yeah, thriller it's a domestic thriller as i said earlier the scariest thing is actually toxic masculinity yeah um but i was really good i liked that a lot more i was surprised that i liked that one more than i liked um the autopsy of jane doe i i, I was really looking forward to one and i'm like oh this looks like something that elisa and i could watch together and it was, but it wasn't what either of us were was expecting. Yeah. And I really liked it, but I also really enjoy the sort of horror comedy genre, which this one doesn't quite fit into, but it doesn't quite fit into anything. Yeah. Like but, what we do in the shadows. Is- yeah. Like what we do in the shadows or the Evil Dead series, not the remakes. Um, you haven't seen the remakes. You can't say that. That's true. Um, Although it does. Cabin does in the Woods. Uh, Dale and Tucker. Tucker and Dale versus the forces of evil. Like I really enjoy, I don't enjoy um, traditional horror films, but I do love horror comedies. I do love, you know, things that kind of push horror genre conventions, I guess I would say. I, and I am more of a traditional horror fan, but I do enjoy like horror comedies quite a bit. And there, I actually kind of want to talk in the future about maybe sometime this month. I want to talk about cabin in the woods because it is Halloween it is, month. It's Halloween month. It's the fourth day of Halloween. Um, <laughs> and so, like, because Cabin in the Woods, I feel, gets more hype than it's really due. Well, and that's because we, it's a Joss Whedon. Yeah. And you know how this podcast feels about Joss Whedon. Well, how I feel specifically <laughs> about Joss Whedon. You, you guys have your own... You, you've hopped on the Joss Whedon hate train ever since we found out about, like... Toxic masculinity. Yeah, him, him the, and his the, wife. The true, the true phantom of our age. And I don't know enough about him to, yeah. you know, have an opinion yet, so... We'll, talk, we'll save I, it for a future podcast. I hated him before it was cool. But, <laughs> um, no, I, I don't know. I've got, I've got thoughts on Cabin in the Woods, and I want to talk about another movie that I think is better called Housebound, and, but I'll extrapolate more yeah. on We'll do that another time. Um, Next time. Uh, another thing that I'm probably going to be doing this month, if you guys are interested, I've, I've uh, realized that this month was, since October, we've got Halloween coming up this month. We also have Friday the 13th this month. So I now own, I have owned for a while all of the Halloween movies. I now own all of the Friday thir- the 13th movies. I'm, I've never seen all of them. I've seen bits and pieces of each series. I kind of want to go through and like kind of figure out which one is a better series because if we're going straight off the first movie definitely halloween like no contest like halloween is the best slasher movie because it kind of originated the genre and is really in many ways kind of a i think sort of a counterpoint to psycho um well that while psycho focused on the psychology of the killer 
uh, Halloween kind of focuses more on the psychology of, you know, the, the pursued victims. And so that makes it really interesting or those who survive the violence. So in the case of Dr. Loomis, uh, so that's really something that I, I kind of want to look at is like, which one is a better series because, you know, one kind of birth, the other in a lot of ways, but then the, you know, the popularity of continued Friday, the 13th movies, uh, I think was part of the reasons why they didn't go in the Halloween direction that John Carpenter wanted to go by making an anthology series and just kind of focusing on the killer. Um, so I'm going to look at those movies kind of side by side and see what's what uh other things i've been up to again in the kind of halloween tradition i've been playing a lot of horror games this month uh, i think i mentioned last time that i played a little bit of the um lake u cabin collection yeah 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 yeah. i played a little bit more of that um i found it so each movie quote unquote in the game is actually a completely different like genre so like the first one is essentially Friday the 13th. Uh, one of them is basically Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And so instead of just like one killer that you set up a few days for, uh, you get several killers who are all already there and you just kind of have to find gas to power up your car and get as many <laughs> people as you can out of uh, where they are. Um there's another one where you are supposed to actually die and you have to like find other monsters to beat the monster that's chasing you. I don't know what movie that would be, but there's like a killer puppet is one that you can get. Um, there's one that's like a witch trapped inside an NES cartridge. <laughs> there's one that's uh, basically you have to kill off all of the main characters in certain ways to summon a demon. Uh, is that like sinister kind of thing? Or? Not, not even like sinister. No, I don't. I wouldn't even know. Like, I, I, I have no idea what movie this is parodying. Hmm. And then there's one that I still haven't seen yet. Um, so that one, that's that's a pretty good series. Like, if if you are interested at all in like indie games or horror movies, uh, Lakeview Cabin Collection is really good. But what's been taking up more of my time now that I've finally gotten it to work, I spent. A couple of days trying to get this game to work on my computer, typing in lines of code into the command prompt. Like, I'm not even kidding. Until you realized the simple solution. Until I figured out the simple solution, which was I hadn't updated my Windows <laughs> in like four years, and there was something in one of those Windows updates that was required to run this game. And you'll say I'm the one that's behind the times. <laughs> well, it's mostly that I don't like windows updates like i don't like having to deal with all of that i mean nobody does yeah your computer shuts off for no reason and, and so i like, oh you lose everything and so basically i turned off automatic windows updates because i didn't want to have to deal with all that bullshit and then i realized that you know four years had gone by <laughs> which in fairness to me my computer had been working fine on literally everything else except for this one game which is dead by daylight um I've been enjoying the hell out of this game. Uh, I'm not very good at it, and the people that I play against, I think, have been playing it probably since it came out. It's a little over a year old at this point. For those not familiar with Dead by Daylight, yeah, it's... I, I, I was I was getting into it. Oh, okay, so it's a it's a multiplayer game. Um, it's again kind of designed in the vein of classic '80s slasher movies. Um, one player plays as the killer, 
and there's several different killers that you can play as. Each of them are fairly similar, but they all have like a, a separate, like a different alternate attack. Like one of them can turn invisible, and when he's invisible, he moves around really quickly, but he can't actually attack. Um, one is uh, like uh, the, the the almost the Leatherface archetype, although now they actually have proper Leatherface in in one of the DLCs where he's a guy with a sledgehammer and a chainsaw and he revs up his chainsaw and like sprints forward and cuts into people. One person has like bear traps and so you can leave traps around. Um, one person throws axes, one person uh, can teleport. But like the, your goal is basically to hit one of the other players a couple of times, like usually two hits knocks him down. You pick him up over your shoulder and you carry him to a meat hook. You hook, put him on the meat hook, and then the entity comes out. And the entity is what gives the killer their powers and is, like, ordering them to kill. So all of these killers are connected somehow. And then the other four players are playing as survivors, and their goal is to power up these generators that are kind of randomly scattered around the map. And once they have a certain number of them turned on, they can open the exits and leave. Um, I Like I said, I've... I've been playing a little bit. I am not very good. <laughs> I, if I've been, I, I'm better as the killer. I find that the trapper is the one that I have been doing the best as so far, at least of the ones that I've played. Um, and I tried a little bit playing as the survivors, but I get found like instantly. <laughs> no. Like, okay. No, go ahead. So have you seen the other version of that game? The, the Friday the 13th one? Yes. I've heard of it. I haven't actually played it yet. Where it's basically the same thing, but it's, it's the Friday the 13th Friday licensed the 13th. game. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then then I think it's interesting that Dead by Daylight, like around the same time that that was getting d designed, like they got, oh, hey, you can play as Michael Myers in our game. We've got a Michael Myers <laughs> add-on. And you can play as Laurie Strode as a survivor. And, oh, hey, here's a Leatherface one. You can play as Leatherface now. So, yeah, I don't know. I feel like it's... From what I understand of the the Friday the 13th game, and, again, I haven't played it, but it sounds like it's, like, way, way more involved in terms of, like, you have to actually kill Jason. And there's only very specific ways to kill him. Mm -hmm. Um and it involves, like, finding his mother's sweater and all these other, like, very vague things from the movies that you would only know if you had an encyclopedic knowledge of the movies. Right. So Nick is going to be fine at it. I mean, <laughs> I guess, as I've just said, I, I do not claim to have an encyclopedic knowledge of the Friday the 13th movies. I have not seen all of them. I've seen bits and pieces of a lot of them, but... Um, well, yeah. After this October, maybe you May will. Maybe I'll have seen all of them yeah. by then. But that's like it's like ten movies. Also, apparently, just looking it up, apparently yeah. it's got more players. Like like there are the se the seven camp counselors that are running from yeah. Jason as opposed to like the four. Yeah. So anyway. Yeah, and I mean that one just came. That one's much more recent, and mm -hmm. I think there's a little bit more of a hype train to it. Maybe. Um, but yeah, no, I've I've been enjoying it. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, I like I said, I suck at it. Um, people have <laughs> laughed at me in chat for how terrible I am. Aww. But, I mean, I've gotten to the place as a killer where I can get, like, three out of the four survivors. Hey, three out of four um, survivors ain't bad. Yeah. Well, well, <laughs> there's a, been a few times where I've done that. Wait, um, are they survivors if they... Okay. Well. Yeah. Well, they're, they're called the survivors. Uh -huh. um, so, yeah, that's that's 
pretty much what I've been up to. I feel like there's something that I wanted to talk about that I no, I think I got I think I got everything. Yeah. Um before let's go around before we go on to the second part of this podcast, let's go one more time. In case there's anything else anyone else wants to talk about. Um I'm good. Cause I got because I remember there were a few things I did that I basically, you know, I I live in a computer. Um, yeah. and so mo- like you guys are talking, <laughs> so you guys, computer. you talk about all the movies that you watch and all the th- games that you're playing. And I, I watch more YouTube videos. And so I've been watching a lot of police knots. Yeah. Uh, I, still have, I haven't caught up with being let's played by the best friends. And it is fucking insane. Like, like you don't, I'm not going to spoil anything for you, Nick. Yeah, please don't, because it's high. It's a. You need to yeah. watch this, like like just the one that up there uploaded today. You know, it it they they outline the villain's plans. Uh-huh. It is fucking nuts. <laughs> you need to do this, man. Okay, on, on a scale of Metal Gear games, which Metal Gear game of uh, insanity is this plan closest to? Um, four. Okay. <laughs> I've only or played two, one of the two, okay. like either four or two. Like it goes balls to the wall. Okay. Um, uh, I was waiting. I was hoping to hear two. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but yeah, no, it's, it's, it's pretty crazy. Uh, other than that, I've been checking out more podcasts. Yeah. Uh, season of the bitch I sent to you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Have I have been... not had a chance to listen to it, but I'm really excited. Yeah. So that's, that's another lefty podcast for the political nerds out there Uh, it's it's uh feminist leftists who say that there are no men on their show that can interrupt them except for Karl Marx (laughs) 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 he's the only one that's allowed to do it um so it's 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 part of the discourse it's fine yeah so so that's that's what I've been listening to and uh that apart I'm I'm about as done as I can get until we get into the the main event the main course okay main event all right, guys. So, so for those of you, I mean, except for the the, pod, I mean, except for the thing at the end that we always do the webcomic. But. Oh, we're gonna do that at the very, very end, or do you want to just do that now so that people can hear it before we get into spoiler territory? Because spoilers, we're getting into spoiler territory. Oh no, <laughs> the spoilers <laughs> were just spoiled. Oh no. So, um, I mean, yeah, I, I can, I suppose, I can do the the webcomic of the week. Wrap if you us up in our regular show, and then we're going into spoilerdom. Okay, yeah. so. So, webcomic of the week. This one, actually, I was considering mentioning uh, last episode, but I didn't. I decided to go with All Night Laundry, and I am glad I didn't because the day after we recorded that episode, it updated. Uh Because this is the thing. We have been talking about uh, Oblivion and Skyrim. Yeah, yeah. And the reason I wanted to mention it was because this is a a webcomic, another adventure-style comic. And I know putting the two adventure-style comics that I read next to each other might be bad form but whatever it's called prequel adventure or making a cat cry and it is an adventure style uh web comic where people interact and such but it is set in oblivion or just before the events of oblivion okay and it is this hapless khajiit this this hapless khajiit character from you know the video games the elder scrolls who appears in uh cyrodiil with no money, no skills, no hope whatsoever, just the idea of escaping from wherever it was she was. And basically the, the idea is that she is um, she has these nightmares 
that affect her, and she is terrified of royalty, so she drinks. But whenever she drinks, she doesn't have nightmares, but she kind of turns into a lush very quickly. Anyway, the point of the thing is that this is more than just a comic. This is a more than what um, what Homestuck did. This has actual games in it. This is actual like little mini games and flash games that go with it. Mm. And it is very in-depth. And for the past two years, it has been on hiatus. <laughs> Until the day after we recorded our podcast. It knew. It updated for the first time in two years. That's, that's some like uh, Akewood levels of uh, not updating right there. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it, is, it has gone like the, the, the most recent update was this huge, beautiful sprite, you know, game where you're you're exploring the city of Kvatch. Mm-hmm. And it's it's just the amount of work, the amount of effort that was put into this thing. I know it's a Sa- simple sounded premise. like two years of effort. <laughs> two years of effort. They've gone into this. Years in the making. <laughs> a cast of thousands. It it is I'm not doing it justice by by explaining it. Because it, it is something where it has gone on twists and turns where the character is trying to basically make a life for herself, just trying to have some idiom of happiness, and it keeps getting dragged away from her at the last <laughs> minute. And the people in the comments, of course, are, you know, some of them are nice and try to provide helpful scenarios, and some are, of course, assholes and try to bring her down. Yeah. And so it's basically the way these voices work is that they're the voices in her head. The, the comments are actually in the game as the voices in her head. <laughs> okay, that's actually that, pretty good. That are telling her things. And so sometimes she chooses to, like, just ignore it and goes into some kind of, you know, crazed, you know, state. Um, and, but it is, it is very, very – it's an ups and downs. It's all over the place. Uh, it'll make you laugh. It'll make you cry. It'll make you have loads of existential wonders about dreams and kings. But it is, it is a lot of fun. Uh, and like I say, I, I know I shouldn't have put these two same similar style of, you know, rep comics next to each other, but it was just, the timing was too good. And the fact that we had been talking about oblivion yeah. that yeah. day, you know, so anyway, that's the web comic of the week. And now for something completely different. All right. So f- for those of you who have not seen twin peaks, the return, uh, there will be spoilers from this point on. We are going to be talking about it. Uh, I liked it. I think Elise and Alex are more reserved in their judgments, uh, but I think it's friggin' amazing, so you should go check it out for yourself. Uh, we will also probably get into a little bit of discussion of the latest season of BoJack Horseman. At least Elise and I want to talk a little bit about that. I specifically want to talk about... Horseback Bowman. What, yeah, Horseback Bowman and uh, his adventures in 2001 A Space Odyssey. No, um, <laughs> uh, I want to talk about kind of how I see these two shows are almost two sides of the same coin. Is a thought that I've been having. Um, so we will probably now nah, that's into, horse apples. We will be going into slight spoilers for season four of BoJack as well. Um, we'll try. I'll try to keep those as far out of it as I can and just kind of talk generally. But definitely, definitely from this point on, spoilers for uh, Twin Peaks, The Return, and Fire Walk With Me. All right. You've and, if you, and if you don't care about spoilers, then eh, so what? Yeah, no, if you don't care about spoilers. The, the, the good thing that I will say about Fire Walk or about um, Twin Peaks, The Return, is I had a lot of stuff actually spoiled for me and didn't realize exactly what that spoiler meant until I saw it in the show. <coughs> so like when you hear somebody yell, 
God damn it, that man just swept a floor for 15 minutes. Yeah. And then and you, you have no idea what it means. I mean, we talked contact. about that last time. Yeah. Why would you have contact? <laughs> that's a, Sorry. That's a that's a major plot point. In, I'm trying, uh, if that's I'm a major to... plot no. point, you explain the no, shit. To I'm, me. Okay. So okay. So spoilers from here on out. So uh, I'm gonna count down from three. They got it. Spoilers already. <laughs> okay. Just talk about all right, it. All right. Just talk about it. <laughs> okay. All right. We're gonna talk about it now. Uh, so I, I've made my opinions on this quite clear. I think that Twin Peaks: The Return is probably one of the greatest things to ever happen to television. Um, setting the bar really high there, no, aren't no, you? No, I, <laughs> I, I can back that up. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, Please do so. Yes, I will. So, the uh, the world that the original Twin Peaks kind of found itself in, a world of, you know, mostly dominated by network television, cable was still in its infancy, the only people, the, the only reason anyone ever got HBO is they if they had more money than they know what to, to do with, and they wanted to occasionally be able to watch, you know, uncensored movies on television. Like, there was no prestige television in 1989. Okay? Uh, and Fair. S- yeah. And Twin Peaks, the original, the first two seasons, mostly the first season, but the second season too, essentially invented, in a lot of ways, what we think of as the modern TV show. Um in that it was one continuous storyline. You basically had to watch it from the beginning or else you didn't know like who the characters were or how they interacted with each other. Um, you wanted to watch it like one week to the next. Like all of those things are now, you know, ubiquitous. Game of Thrones, Breaking Bad, Walking Dead. All of these shows that people love and talk about all the time. You can see their kernels in the original first two seasons of Twin Peaks. Which in and of itself was, at least in part, a reaction to the popularity of primetime soap operas. Shows that had a lot of melodrama, very little actual substance, but there were like another one of these things that like people gathered around the water coolers to talk about. I mean, okay. All right, so I, I'm, I think that it is true that in terms of shows it has it did do a lot but i don't know if it was necessarily kind of the first major show to kind of have that continuous storyline that people would continue to talk I, about i'm not i will get well when i because you have things like dark shadows you yeah, have things like upstairs downstairs but you, those those things are like those are more of like soap operas whereas this is like it takes those same kind of tropes which Game of Thrones also has those same kind of tropes mm-hmm. which you know uh, walking dead probably to an even greater extent does the soap opera tropes. What Downton Abbey. Downton Abbey. What, uh, what, which, upstairs, which is downstairs. just upstairs. Which is downstairs. just upstairs, yeah. downstairs. <laughs> but what I'm, I'm trying to say is that like the, what we call prestige television is essentially that with universe building kind of put on top of it. You mm. know what I mean? Like it's not just that it's a soap opera. It's that the, the characters are actually really well fleshed out. It's not just melodrama. But there are like actual stakes. You know mm. what I'm trying to say? Like, right. like there, there are. It kind of spun out of the soap opera, the primetime soap opera, kind of birthed all of this. But the thing that took the formula, I suppose, of a of a uh, primetime soap opera and turned it into what we now call prestige television or golden age of television, or do you want to, whatever you want to call it, is Twin Peaks. Um, and I don't think I'm I'm exaggerating a whole lot. I think you guys probably like if you don't necessarily 100% agree, 
um, the, the Prisoner you could also consider to be like the first like really modern <laughs> uh, TV show in a lot of ways as well. Yeah. Which that's just had its fiftieth yeah. anniversary, and that maybe that deserves a look at as well. But that that's basically my argument is that it it probably wasn't the first one, but it was like you know the uh, Twin Peaks that going talking about now. Twin Peaks probably wasn't the first one to do a lot of these things, but it was the first one to really throw a lot of these ideas together and have people involved yeah. in it who were popular outside of television. Okay. David Lynch was a well-respected filmmaker by the time this came out. Kyle MacLachlan was in Blue Velvet, one of the most like uh, critically acclaimed movies of the 1980s. He was also in Dune. He was also in Dune, one of the most critically reviled movies of the 1980s. <laughs> but the movie that made me a David Lynch fan at the tender age of six years old when I first rented it from my local video store. Uh, so, yeah, that explains Elise's a lot. has got a look on her face. It explains Figure a out how old Nick is, people, from that statement. <laughs> well, it, it was already an old movie by the time. It was, I, that, that movie yeah. actually came out yeah. before I was born. I'll say that much. Um, we baby David Lynch fan. Oh yeah. Uh, oh yeah. That explains a lot about me, doesn't it? Um, okay. So, so that's the original twin peaks. It is now 25 years later. Mm-hmm. You see know, you again in 25 so years. See you again in 25 years. Meanwhile, it's 27 years, but whatever. Yeah, yeah, who's yeah. counting? Who's counting? Meanwhile, uh, uh, while all this was going on, while twin peaks was off the air, television changed. And so the primetime soap opera as it existed in terms of like Melrose Place, Party of Five, 90210, all these shows like Dallas. General Hospital. General Hospital. Um, yeah, all these shows that Twin Peaks was kind of satirizing are no longer there. So the show as it exists, the, the shows that are popular now are the ones that I was mentioning that I was saying like kind of in a lot of ways. All right, just. One thing, though, that I want to get on that I would just want to say is um, you were talking about, like, 90210, Melrose Place, uh, Dallas, those kinds of shows. Yeah. Those those shows still exist. Like, Grey's Anatomy comes to mind as very much, like, a primetime soap opera. I mean, there's there's a lot of cop shows that are kind of like that today. That's what the old people are watching. That's not what we're watching. Yeah, exactly. That's that's what the old people are watching. That's what the old people are watching. That's not... But And and I will also say that those aren't the shows that define the cultural zeitgeist. Fair. And, you know, and this... Sorry, not to get on too far of a tangent, but just very quickly to mention, This Is Us which is also another primetime soap opera, but does do things, which is incredibly popular. I know you guys are kind of rolling your eyes at me right now, but it is incredibly popular. And one of the things um, it does do a lot with like time and it doesn't tell its story linearly, linearly, like linearly. Um, So in that way, even your, even our kind of modern day soap operas, still have to have some sort of niche twist to yeah. them, which I think is kind of an interesting side note. Yeah, and that's kind of what that's kind of what I was getting at. So like we've got now we've got these shows that kind of take Twin Peaks's formula. It's it's like a primetime soap opera, but there's magic and a murder mystery. It's like a primetime soap opera, but there's, you know, medieval politics and zombies and dragons. It's like a primetime soap opera, but it's about a drug dealer. Like, 
It's like a primetime soap opera, but the world is covered in zombies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a primetime soap opera, but the president is a psychopath. Oh, no, that's just... But, um... That's, that's the world. That's the world we live in now. That's the news. Yeah, You've been watching yeah, the news. That's the news is the new soap opera. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the news has been the soap opera since CNN was first invented. Anyway, yeah. um, so the, the point that I'm making is this, is that the original Twin Peaks existed in part to satirize those shows. Those shows are now no longer popular. So what does he satirize instead? I posit. Now this is this is my I said that I had an explanation for the the things like uh the fifth the like the, the it wasn't five. Very, it's five it minutes. was five minutes. Let's not hyperbolize. It was about five minutes of the guy sweeping, sweeping the, the floor. floor. I have a theory that that he is in fact satirizing in a very kind of broad way the kinds of television shows that are popular now. That's my read on it. Um, and Alex is looking at me askance and Elise is biting her lip that I'm trying, trying to figure out what exactly I'm talking Explain. about. Explain. <laughs> okay. So what I mean by that is, and I, I will go into this saying that I am a fan of things like Breaking Bad and I do like Game of Thrones and I do like these kinds of TV shows, but the formula of the show is largely a whole lot of stuff that adds up to not actually mattering to the overall story and about five minutes at the end of every episode where things actually like advance the plot. So the filler in Twin Peaks, I'm reading as a satirical look at the filler of modern so-called prestige television that it is a, a kind of a very critical view of these are the things that people are finding so important, but ultimately, you know, things like, um, I'm trying to think of a really oh, good specific example. Of, here's a, here's a good specific example of that, which is the newest, ep, uh, newest season of Orange is the New Black, which just came out in June of 2017. Um, the entire season, which is about 13 episodes take, pl takes place over the course of four days. And actually, that entire series takes place over the course of less than a year. And it's had four seasons, and it's going to have a fifth. So I definitely see what you're saying, where these prestige television series, um, like Orange is the New Black, is a prime example of where they're, they're filling things in with backstory and with side plots. But the main arc is... Piper's year, one year yeah. in jail. And so in in that view, that's a really an excellent example. I probably couldn't have thought of a better one. <laughs> um, th that That's kind of what I'm saying is that there is a single story that happens in Twin Peaks The Return that is actually of importance to an overall storyline. And it's and, the Doogie Howser event. And, and it's, and yeah. Doogie, no, it's Dougie, Dougie Jones. Jones. Dougie Jones. And, it's, and it's Dougie Jones being used as a vessel for Agent Cooper to bring his soul back from the Black Lodge. Um, and then using that, using that vessel, coming back into himself... And then which takes goddamn fourteen takes, fucking episodes. But like, consider how long something like, you know, 
uh, Daenerys going across yeah. the Great Waste takes. Like if that's it like took her like six or seven seasons just to meet Jon Snow. Yeah. How oh, sorry, spoiler. Yeah, spoiler alert. Sorry, spoilers <laughs> alert for another show. But it's like, yeah, how long does it take to get her to get a ship? You yeah. know what I mean? Like yeah. something that you really could if you wanted to focus, like just go down to the ship store and pick one up. I mean, what are you waiting for? <laughs> but but the point that I'm making is that there's like a lot of like spinning of the wheels, and yeah. so it's like the one thing that's important is that he comes back and tries to save Laura Palmer, and it takes 18 episodes for that thing to happen. It's just that instead of having all these side plots, all these other things where those characters' actions might be interesting but not overall important to what's happening. He's showing only, for the most part, scenes that involve people that are that are integral to it, except for the scene of the guy sweeping at the roadhouse. But it's like almost all of those characters are all actually in some way involved in Dougie's story. But we get, you know, three minutes of silence in shot reverse shot as these characters look at each other, which is how those things actually happen in real life. Yeah. You know, not everything that happens is a huge important plot point in your life. Sometimes you're just driving f silently with someone in the passenger seat for five minutes. Don't but even it put also, music on. It also has to do with the way we watch television now is very different than how we watch television in the late 1980s, yeah. early 1990s, which is that, you know, then it was like you had a show, you watched it once a week, at the same time every week and you couldn't miss it because reruns didn't really happen. Mm. Whereas now, like most of the media that we consume is in that binge format, yeah. you know, like Netflix drops an entire season in one, in one day. And they did this and they released these episodes in such a way that you could binge it. Even if you were following it when it was coming out, you could in fact binge Twin Peaks and they basically dared you to do it. Like, <laughs> The, with the night I mean, you had to wait for the last one to come sometimes, out. Sometimes, but like, like no, in this, in this newest, the return. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what, what I mean is like, the first when the premiere night, you got four episodes on the first night mm -hmm. that the show yeah. was back, and it's like, yeah, watch four hours of this TV show in a sitting. Mm. <laughs> you know, because even you know the the ones you mentioned earlier, like Breaking Bad, like Game of Thrones, you know, they come out in that same weekly yeah. episodic format but even but then most people consume them through a binging like a lot yeah. of people do they binge those episodes yeah and no actually oh my god oh my god nick is right <laughs> what oh my god no it's just he's his take on how it's it's satirizing popular media now see here's here's I, the thing i'm not yeah. getting because yeah. i don't watch those shows okay i haven't seen Breaking Bad. I haven't seen yeah, yeah, Game yeah. of Thrones. I haven't right. seen The Walking Dead. And, and Breaking Bad might not be a very good you know, example not... because Breaking Bad is like four seasons long, but it's like it is tight. Like mm -hmm. that. That might be the kind of the anti example. That and BoJack Horseman, which I kind of want to talk about how yeah. I see that as being an anti. So it's like I can't uh, comment yeah. on this yeah. theory because I don't have a context. For okay, it. that's fair. I'm stuck in that time loop. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you know, I don't. I watch this and I'm like. What the fuck, David Lynch? You you yeah. you turn into an art student in like the sophomore year of college for five <laughs> minutes. You, you what what the fuck is going on? Yeah. With, to be fair, <laughs> David Lynch never left art school. Yeah, no. <laughs> like, and, let's be and real here. Let's. I'm not trying to say this to excuse all of it because like it doesn't explain 
everything. Mm -hmm. But as I watched it, that was kind of the big takeaway is like, okay, there is one big arc in this. Just like in most prestige television, there is one big arc over the course of a season. It's just that he is kind of stripping everything else away and kind of showing how ridiculous it is to tell one fairly simple story over the course of 18 hour long episodes. Oh my God. Or, or like one, I'm sorry. I keep going back to orange is the new black, but it's such a good example of like, it is literally one year in this person's life and they have spent four years, four, four years, yeah. four years telling this one story, this one arc. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know that. And that's, oh God, that's, how much time have I wasted? That's <laughs> just kind of my theory I mean, on it. That's wasting that's, time, Elise. Yeah. I know. If, mean, if you're entertained, you're entertained, yeah. but that's, that's why I say it's like, it, it is. And it's also, it is like actual, like art film on television. Mm -hmm. Like it, it's something that's never been attempted. Like, yeah. That that eighth. I, I would agree with that. It, and I think just for that, it's something that's very groundbreaking. Is that it's an attempt to do, like even when David Lynch had done television previously, it was like fairly. It was the more subdued David Lynch. We talked about it last, on the last episode how he is capable of telling fairly straightforward stories, and most of the things that get set up in the first two seasons are relatively straightforward. There's magical stuff. That's like, oh, what is this stuff? Hawk, would you please explain to us the, the superstition, uh, the, 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 the um, religions and the like, beliefs of your people in this area? And like, what is the Black Lodge? Would you please explain this? And all of that stuff is like kind of easily set up. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, and the reason why, one of the reasons why I said that Fire Walk With Me is necessary to understanding what's going on in season three is, goddamn blue rose, goddamn. Yeah, yeah, the blue rose and like all and the ring and all of these things that are set up in Fire Walk with me, and get actual payoff. There is actual payoff in season three, if you are a big enough fan of the show to have like watched the movie and kind of con deconstructed it over now, the last. See, 25 I just years. watched the movie yesterday. Yeah, yeah. So I watched the return before I watched yeah. Fire Walk with me, which is which is kind of backwards. And I've uh, and I kind of and I've been telling you like mm -hmm. you really need to make sure that you watch it. Because it is Twin Peaks. Like, while Hawk is a major character, he's not around to explain a lot of the stuff that's going on. In the original series, all the mystical stuff that was happening, there was some sort of explanation for it. Like, okay, this has to do with the Black Lodge. Or the um, uh, Major Briggs mm -hmm. was around to explain. Like, hey, Plot Project Blue Book. We got this transmission from space. Yeah. Like, okay, and it's not like, it doesn't go into a whole lot of details, but it explains it. It gives you some sort of, like, verbal thing. Something to grasp Something to of. grasp onto. This is all of that without any sort of reference point. You're left with purely, okay, well, what does this magical stuff actually do? All right. Well, who can explain it? No one. It's magic. Like, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, so there are hints, I feel like, it, that are actually around. Of course, you could just take the the other meaning of it, which is explicitly told to us in Fire Walk With Me and a couple of times in uh, Season 3. There is an explicit explanation for why this is all so weird. Which is? We live inside a dream. 
mm-hmm. that it is all literally a dream. Be- but who's the dreamer? That's a very good question. <laughs> Who is the dreamer? And I feel like the the ending of the last episode where they go to the house and it's not the Palmer house. It's the house of the actual family that really does live in that house. Mm-hmm. They're not even actors. That's not yeah. Like it's it's just they asked the, the owner, owner of the house if they, she would play a, a fictionalized version of herself essentially. So when when uh, Cooper travels back to that night in 1989 and tries to save Laura, which that scream got payoff 25 years, years after. Later. The fact. Oh man, I yeah, I I friggin' love that they were able to kind of cut that in so perfectly. But when he goes back, that's maybe waking the dreamer, like leaving this dream reality of Twin Peaks and entering the real world. Where there is someone who looks like Laura Palmer, like there would be in the real world. Mm-hmm. You know, there's an actress alive walking around who played her. There's a Kyle MacLachlan who yeah. looks strangely like Dale Cooper. Yeah. Except it's not doing that. It's, but he, not, it's, it's, it's some other person. It's some other, yeah, it's some yeah. other person. It's not saying, oh, hey, David Lynch and camera crew yeah. following me. It's not doing the, the, the whole breaking the fourth wall and thing so, necessarily. And so maybe it's a dream within a dream like it's very because like a lot of that i mean there's some dream logic at work you can't you have to admit that there's some like straight up how does this work i don't know it just does like Mm. what does the ring do it does the thing that makes the person go to the black lodge maybe depending on how you wear it um and, and so it's and this is what i mean by i say that it's like it's actual art cinema on television is it is something that is going to require for a full understanding of it multiple read-throughs very close examination of like the images um because there are very subtle things that are at play and this shit tires me out like like i've i watched through it and i i see where you're getting at and i see there are major inconsistencies and it, 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 like, I'm not getting any clearer the more I think about it. It's just getting more muddled. But, and there's, there's problems with time. Yes. See, cause, like, because time, they're in a dream. Yeah. So therefore, there would be problems with time. But in dreams, time tends to, I mean, maybe my dreams are different, but whatever. Yeah. You know, time seems to have some kind of internal consistency. Mm-hmm. In, in, in Twin Peaks, The Return. Like, like this is something very minor, but it stood out to me. And this was something in the jail. Yeah. And I oh, yeah, yeah. You yeah. told me that you, you had a theory about that the jail doesn't exist. Either the jail doesn't exist or it's it's somehow separate from the rest of reality. Because okay. the county jail, especially in, like, the last five episodes or whatever, uh, where they, they take the corrupt cop and they throw him in there and they take the, the, the strange bird-chirping woman that turns out to be... What's her face? Diane. Diane. Yeah. The and real Diane. The real Diane. And they put her in there and they've got this person that needs urgent medical help and he's just fucking <laughs> yeah. there bleeding oh, on that the floor. Drove, that drove Elise crazy too. <laughs> like, what the fuck? And then they put uh, James and what's his face? Oh, yeah. The British guy with the, the gardening Br- glove? British kid, I yeah. I can't remember what his name was. I don't know. But anyway, they put them all in there and over the course of 
five episodes where the rest of the world has like four days happen. Yeah. They're there for what seems like a few minutes. Yeah. The time there doesn't fit the rest of it. And I'm sure there are other examples of that happening where the scenes of the amount of time it takes for certain things to happen over the course of other episodes does not fit what happens. I think, I think, you know, the big example of where that happens. I mean, that's, that's in the Audrey storyline. It's Audrey. But Audrey We're going may- to the roadhouse. Yeah. Which it may or may not like exist. four goddamn episodes to get to the roadhouse. Yeah. And Wh- then uh, you have that split second where she screams in the mirror. And yeah. then there's, yeah. And then there's nothing. So again, like uh, kind of going back to this, my my kind of read of it being a satire of like things that don't make the, the that, you know, in, in modern television. It's like, yeah, that kind of stuff happens. But it's like, it's being made super explicit in... Twin Peaks, mm-hmm. where it's like, and especially like the latest season of uh, Game of Thrones had a lot of this problem, from what I understand. Yeah. Like where people, where people were basically just like teleporting around, and like were places <laughs> that like didn't make sense for them to be, given the scale of the world. Like, yeah. how did they get there this quickly? If this is happening mm-hmm. in this other yeah, scene, how did everybody arrive yeah. at the sheriff's office at the right time? Right at the yeah. very last second. Um, and so like that kind of like, that, that's what I'm saying is that this, the reason why I think that season was so brilliant is it strips away a lot of that artifice and a lot of that, like kind of buildup of hype that makes like that creates fandoms basically. And just kind of brings it down to like, this is kind of what you're actually watching. Like, this is what you're getting so excited about. <laughs> Um, but then it also does have this extremely rich mythology, which gets built up and like the ending, like I remember we, we finished that last episode and I turned to Elise and was basically just like, that was incredible. That was an amazing way to end it. I was super angry. You were really it was it, so it, it, angry. It was a way to end it. It was. <laughs> yeah. It was and a thing. It, it was a way to end it where it's like, you could... I basically found that a much more satisfying ending than the ending of season two, which isn't saying much. I realize, but the ending of season two is a non-ending. The ending of season two is a non-ending. This is an ending of sorts. Mm -hmm. You could just end twin peaks at the end of the return. Um, probably should. Maybe. I mean, I would like to see it again. It's something that I would always love to go back to and see more of it. Um, like that, the universe that David Lynch has made, all of the mythologies of it. And like the mythology of it was really what kind of interested me in it. Like I loved all the quirky characters. I loved all the kind of offbeat humor of David Lynch. Um, you know, and in his other movies, those are the things that I always really appreciate. But for Twin Peaks, he made this mythology around all these quirky characters that like, made it to me all the much more interesting and like just built it so much in this series. So like my favorite episodes of the entire thing were the epi- the the one that was almost entirely done in black and white episode and almost eight. entirely silent. Yeah. And um and the last episode. Like is that the one with the two kids in the 50s? Yes. Who got uh Sorry, no, I just had a, like a moment of realization where I think I finally figured out that s- those scenes. Okay. Because when you said the thing about Major Briggs getting the space 
tra- the transmission from space. Yeah. Is that are those scenes tied to that information? Yes, kind of. Could be. Yeah, because I... like the idea, I think the the general idea behind that is you know these things saw that humanity can create the atom bomb and then sent something to fuck with us. I that's the that's the baseline reading of it unless you have some deeper bullshit to pull out. I <laughs> I had a different read. It wasn't necessarily that it cuz cuz that's what the that's what at least in 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 like in in like modern sci-fi the idea yeah. of if a if an alien or if any civilization can make it to the nuclear age, which apparently is a thing that every civilization needs to go through. I don't fucking know. Anyway, yeah. if you can get to the to killing each other with atom bombs and then not destroy yourself, then you have a chance of getting into space. Yeah. And so I think, you know, the the general baseline reading of that is that whatever entities were of the Black Lodge or whatever mm-hmm. saw that humanity was capable of doing that and sent something, namely, you know, Bob and the the woodsman down to try to do some kind of nefarious interaction with that. What that actual interaction is, is not clear, because it's alien. It's unknown to us. See, I I did have a different read on it. Okay. Um, and that's Had why you I, had that interpretation and then dismissed it entirely? No. Okay. <laughs> um, because a major theme throughout all of Twin Peaks, I mean, even right down to the name, is the idea of doubling. Mm-hmm. You know, especially in this season, you have the two Coopers, right? Um, but, like, all throughout it, you've got, like, Laura Palmer, as we saw in, in Fire Walk With Me. Laura Palmer was an innocent with an evil side. Mm-hmm. Like, ultimately, she was a good person, but she did all these terrible things and made all these terrible decisions. Um, I, I mean, she lives the quintessential double life of, like, I am the homecoming queen yes. that works for Meals on Wheels, but then at night, I'm I'm totally a coke doing hooker yes so yeah and and the universe that is set up in terms of mythologies is one of it's almost manichaean there are equal and opposite forces of good and evil because there's also the white lodge yes the black lodge the white lodge. yeah and what's shown in that episode is the white lodge responding to the black lodge by sending laura palmer i think or whatever but i saw the i didn't see it as because it, it, they do talk about, like, aliens from outer space, but, like, the way that I've always interpreted, like... Or extra-dimensional. Extra-dimensional. Whatever the fuck, yeah. yeah, the way that I've always interpreted it is that it is another dimension mm-hmm. that the the signals go out to space and basically are reflected back. Because remember, yeah. that is, in fact, they, they, they in, intercept this transmission from space, but the origin of the, the transmission wasn't space. It bounced off of something in space and came back. Mm-hmm. Remember, that was the one for... Um, uh, Major Briggs in season two gives yeah. him that message that says Cooper. Yeah. Um, so the way that I interpreted the, the splitting of the atom bomb is it didn't, it didn't like catch anyone's attention. Is it awoke something? Cause splitting the atom, splitting things in two. Mm-hmm. Right. So the, the, uh, that little vomiting thing when the atom bomb exploded, that triggered a split where that thing sent out Bob, the evil entity, into the world. Uh, and so to counteract it, the giant, the fireman, remember? Because that's what he tells people. He tells the, the British guy that he's called the fireman. Mm-hmm. The fireman sends something to put the fire out. Mm-hmm. 
namely Laura Palmer's spirit, because we see her face in that little golden globe that he releases yeah. Yeah. and sends it to Earth down the Hoover Bloop Highway. Um, <laughs> little uh, deep cut Dr. Seuss reference out there for all you literary nerds. Um, <clears throat> so so that whole thing was the, the, the kind of splitting of the atom. One side, you know, positive and negative, light and dark, Bob and Laura. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is what fire walk with me is about is if Bob can conquer Laura, if Bob can take her soul, then he would basically have free reign. Cause that's what he does. Like those, the creatures of the black lodge live off of Carmen Bosia. They live off of pain and sorrow. Um, and the the line I I, we, I mentioned it when we watched it, uh, Fire Walk with me last night that the line the log lady has when he, she speaks to Laura is probably the key to understanding if not everything then a lot of what's going on is she says because you know, fire walk with me the, the idea of fire and the things like moving through electricity fire is in this sense evil because they're the the fires are the things that Bob resides in. Um, and what's a bigger fire than the atom bomb, right? Uh, and so Laura is burning, right? When this a fire like this starts is what she says. Uh, it's, it's very difficult. It's to... very difficult to put out and the bows of innocence go first. So the implication that is made by that line and seeing Deer Meadows at the beginning is if someone like Laura Palmer can become evil if she can have her soul corrupted by Bob, then the entire community around her also becomes the same thing. So for Deer Meadow, that person either never existed or was Teresa Banks. And so when Teresa Banks was killed, it corrupts Deer Meadow and turns it into the anti-Twin Peaks. So is it that every town has their Laura Palmer or is it just that these two towns are twins? I think that because of the doubling, I see it more as these two are equal and opposites of each other. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we're seeing what Twin Peaks would be without Laura Palmer, without that spark of goodness in it. So it's a place where the sheriff hates the, the FBI guy that comes. It's a town where the, the diner is grimy and empty and like devoid of joy where the coffee is terrible. Right. <laughs> Cause that is expressly said, like the, we see the reactions of people drinking the coffee in Deer Meadow and they're revolted by it. So like all of these things are kind of showing that like, yes, this is what twin peaks would be without Laura Palmer. And if Laura Palmer is consumed in this fire, then then the rest of the world will basically go as she goes. And we see this repeated in season three, right? The new deputy is a shitheel. In fact, he's an awful lot like those bad deputies from Deer Meadow in Fire Walk With Me. Mm-hmm. Um, down to the point where they consort with criminals. There's the line in Fire Walk yeah. With Me about like, one of them it probably has an uncle in prison, right? Sort of like how the deputy does all these bad things for um, what's his Ben name? Horn, Ben, ben Horn's uh, grandson. Yeah. Um, what's his name? Rich- ben Richard. No, 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 no. The grandson's name is Benjamin. Oh, is, is it Ben? Okay. Yeah, because it. Well, no, 
No, no the, ben, the Ben is the dad. Ben yeah. is the granddad, yeah. yeah. I can't remember what it is now. But yeah, the, 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 the uh, Audrey's son. Mm-hmm. But it is it is all of the young people that didn't mm-hmm. know Laura, Laura are, are the ones who are turning. Yeah. So well, like except even, for Marlon Brando. Yeah. But he <laughs> left. See. But he left. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, at least yeah. missed that scene. I did miss that scene, but... You missed that scene? Yeah, because um, she didn't watch all of it because there, there was a while she didn't want to want to watch it. And I was like, well, I'm just going to watch it on my own. And then I got to that scene. I'm like, oh, my God, you have to watch the rest of this. <laughs> um, but, like, Audrey's son is yeah. terrible. Um, her, her, his, Bobby and... Bobby's made a heel turn. No, no, no. Bobby uh, is No, Bobby great. made a face turn. Face turn. That's what it's called. Yeah. But his, but his daughter, daughter is caught up in drugs the daughter is caught up in all of these terrible pursuits shelly's apparently still dating horrible people though yeah yeah Yeah. and so yeah and and so we are seeing the effects of this and i think that's kind of what this is is that this is an attempt to then save twin peaks because if it, it sounded like there was like a there was a little bit of a ticking clock element kind of put into the first one uh, where he was first trying to come back, and it's like, well, if if go- if Evil Dale isn't stopped, then that's basically the fulfillment of the plan. Um, and so the forces are kind of working to prevent that from happening. That's why Dougie Jones exists. You remember, he was manufactured mm-hmm. for a purpose. Dougie Jones exists as a contingency plan so that if Dale failed in his original attempt to take back his body, there was a spare Dale kicking around in the world so they could actually manage to stop this. Like, that's that's how I interpret this series, is that this is the next chance to kind of stop this fire from spreading. Because, again, that's why the giant calls himself the Fireman. He's mm-hmm. the person who's working to put out the fire. That's my interpretation. What do you guys think? <laughs> no, I, I, yeah, I agree. I don't know. I'm not completely convinced. You're not convinced. I, I, I think because again, you know, you, you are the veteran here. You are yeah, the, guess, yeah. you are the David Lynch aficionado that knows all of these little details and have studied this for. A few years longer I mean, than I've been born, probably. No, not not, not quite to that. I mean, I, mean I, I I like Dune. I I've I so seen, I own both and have seen mm-hmm. both uh, Eraserhead and um and Blue Velvet. So I can only mm-hmm. really interpret this from what I know mm-hmm. and from what I've seen of it. And from what I've seen of it, you know, this this I still think that time plays a greater factor with this especially yeah. in the last episode yeah there's a lot of stuff dealing with what, they, what year is it yeah they go back in time to try to save laura palmer what yeah. year is it the the fact that the time does not fit up between different story arcs yes the you know what is going on with time yeah and i think think that has something more to do with it i wouldn't be surprised i saw that as being largely dealing with the fact that this is you know, it, it is it's dream logic there's the line you know, we live within a dream um and so i kind of just wrote it off as that but do you see something else going on with it i mean i just you know i i haven't sat down and thought about it as deeply as you have so no <laughs> okay. but there's something nagging at the back of my brain that tells me that there's more to the time plot there's okay. more to the whole thing if we were to watch it again and yeah. timeline everything out on, yeah, a, yeah, on yeah. a whiteboard 
then maybe something would I, become clearer. But I don't have the patience to do yeah. that. No, I, I joked with Elise <laughs> that when the uh, the series comes out on Blu-ray, or I'm mm-hmm. going to have to buy, like, 30 television screens and just watch every episode of Twin Peaks simultaneously. Corkboard with, yeah. No, it's, it's there's there's something going on with that. And that's something that needs to be digged into, but I'm not the guy to do it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, and I said, like... Uh-huh. The, that's just kind of my initial thoughts. Like as I was watching, these were the things mm-hmm. that I was thinking about. Um, having seen Firewalk with me several times, I actually I kind of went about this in the opposite direction of you. I, I so you saw the first two seasons, then you watched season three, and then you watched Firewalk with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, most people did it in the chronological order: seasons one, two, Firewalk with me, and then season three. I did it at, with Firewalk with me was my first exposure to Twin Peaks. You did it ass backwards. Yeah, I did it the probably well, not quite the the most ass. No, the most ass backwards no. would be to watch the Return, Return first. first. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> then seasons one and two. Then Firewalk with me. Yeah, you're just watching this show. Like, why does everyone like this? Yeah. Uh, um. Yeah, but I I did I saw Firewalk with me first. Um, and I saw it years before I watched the actual show because I was aware of the show through just like cultural osmosis. And it sounded like something I'd be interested in. And I'm like, oh, yeah, donuts and coffee and like the log lady. And then none of that's in Firewalk with me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it is there, but it's just like barely there. It's mostly just like really kind of. And this is what I wanted to talk about with. Uh, so do we have any more because I, I do want to bring back in BoJack Horseman. I mean, I just I just wanted to talk briefly about something yeah. where you talk about how it's in the cultural, cultural osmosis and yeah. and how it's like I was asking my my grandma and my mom about you know if they want they didn't watch it yeah they didn't even know it was a thing like it I think maybe because it's such an impact on on cultural you know stuff for for us mm-hmm. that maybe we ascribe more importance to it than the general population so, did. On the flip side of that mm-hmm. is I I talked with my parents about it and my dad. Um, said, yeah, I watched half a season and then I couldn't, I couldn't follow it. I couldn't keep up with it. So I gave up. Mm. Yeah. So that's, you know. But it is, it definitely is in the cultural zeitgeist of the early 90s. It had a Sesame Street parody. It had a Sesame Street parody. (laughs) It was, uh, it had a Saturday Night Live parody. There are some jokes about it in Mystery Science Theater. Um, there, there, one of my, there's one in, um, Santa Claus Conquers the Martians. Yeah. Where they talk about, uh. How oh the children are watching their Earth programs? I don't like it. It confuses them. And and uh, Servo says something like, "Oh, they must be watching Twin Peaks." Ah. Like, yeah, it's something that has been in. Yeah, it's in a lot of the yeah. media. It was in the Simpsons parody. Yeah. It. Maybe I just hang out with too many old kids. Maybe, yeah. but it's like it was something that like for a while there that it was like in the early '90s. Everyone wanted to know who killed Laura Palmer. And I talked about we, we talked about this last night when we were finished watching the movie. I think that that was a big misstep in like actually saying who the, the killer was because that's when people stopped watching because I, mean, the, I don't think anyone would argue with that because and to me and I think the, and David Lynch was had it and Mark Frost thought about this the same way. The mystery, the solution to the mystery isn't important. The important thing is what that the story that that mystery allows them to tell and like the characters it allows them to create. Mm-hmm. Um, because like that was just the impetus for all these characters interacting with each other. 
You know, it's the MacGuffin. It doesn't actually matter who the killer is. And they knew from the beginning who they had in mind. Like, oh, this was the person who killed her. But they just didn't want to tell that story because it wasn't what interested them. And so they, they kind of like, they twisted, you know, CBS twisted their arm and made them do it. Um, and I feel like that kind of was what killed Twin Peaks in the first place. Um, but I do kind of want to talk about this because I mentioned, like, I have a, an idea with this and, like, BoJack Horseman. All right. Let's shift let's, gears to BoJack Horseman, okay. a show I have never seen uh, before. A show you have never seen before. It's really very simple. The, the reason that I wanted to bring this up um, is because we've been watching the news, the latest season. We're one episode away from the end. And if you haven't listened, if you haven't watched BoJack Horseman, you need to watch it. Yeah. Like, it It seems like, and the way it was originally advertised, it seemed like this nothing stupid show with a horse character mm. and a dumb world and whatever. And then as it like, slowly oh. goes on, yeah. it becomes more and more serious. It tackles more and more issues. And, like, we watched an episode before we did the podcast tonight, and it was just... It was a re- like it, it's, it's heart wrenching. Yeah. It's heart wrenching. Like I'm, you think it's going to be like a fun, silly show, and it, it's and like the not. the first season. I'll get to it after I watch Breaking Bad. The, <laughs> yeah, the first season is kind of that. Like the first season is kind of like very oh, it's a silly satire about Hollywood and like Hollywood fakeness, um, kind of and with with visual puns dealing with the fact that half the cast are animals uh there's this guy that sleeps on his couch oh he's kind of silly oh it's aaron paul from breaking bad like there's like a lot of silliness in it but then it delves into these very like serious topics and it's the kind of show where I, i think the the thing that like most perfectly encapsulates the way that this uh that this show can move between tones flawlessly is there's an episode in the latest season where a character has found out that she's had a miscarriage and has basically been trying to have this child with her with her fiance and like they just they can't conceive and she's like she confides she ends up confiding later on that she's had like five miscarriages over the course of her life um and so, like, it's a very serious moment. Like, she's having a terrible day. She's like breaking down. All these things are going wrong for her. And so she's like secretly kept her old apartment they've moved in together but she secretly kept her old apartment and so she goes back to her apartment basically to find solitude and be away from him and like collect her thoughts and as soon as she opens the door she's confronted by a gaggle of clowns performing dental surgery on a child which is the subject of the b plot happening in this episode where the goofy character who's been sleeping on bojack's couch is starting his latest business venture which is uh, dentists who are also clowns to entertain children and it does that for about three minutes and they she gets drunk with the clowns and it's funny and then her fiance shows up and they do this huge gag of all of the clowns leaving via the balcony doing various clown routines and then the tr- the chamber drama starts back up that's the show and it's so like it and it doesn't feel ever callous it doesn't ever feel like it doesn't know how to keep a tone. Like it's all very intentional and all like very, very well done. Um, but the reason why I wanted to bring but this, it, it is truly the madcap and the macabre in yeah. like in a 30 minute episode. And especially considering in that same scene, one of the clowns has a line about 
how sadness and comedy are two sides of the same coin mm. where you kind of get those things back and forth in very rapid succession. Um, and, but the reason why I wanted to bring that up in relation to twin peaks, and it might just be because I've been watching you. That's what we've been watching recently is they are themselves. I think two sides of the same coin in that twin peaks is a show that is very obtuse. It plays around a lot with expectation. Um, there's not a lot of catharsis in that last in that third season. Like things are built up, and then you never get an emotional release, or things just kind of stay at that one emotional level for a long time. But it is, I think, an inherently positive show. Like I said that it's like almost kind of Manichaean, these forces of light and dark and like good is winning in Twin Peaks. Like the, the ending of fire walk with me where we see the angel, like the actual angel floating over. Yeah. I kind of, I saw that and I was like, what the fuck is this? Okay. <laughs> it's a, it's, you know, it's showing that like, again, forces of light, they were able to save Laura Palmer's soul. Mm -hmm. Like she says that there's the line that she has in that movie where she says, if you were flying through space, would you slow down or would you just go faster and faster? And that is what Laura is experiencing. So when Donna asks her that question and she says, you just keep going faster and faster and eventually you'd burn up and the angels wouldn't be there to save you because they've all gone away. Um, that's how she feels is she's burning up. She's going faster and faster. She can't stop herself from doing all these terrible things. And she feels like there are no angels there, but at the end, the angels are there. They've stopped her from burning up. They've, they've, it wasn't a perfect ending, but they managed to kind of rescue her soul from Bob. So she, and that's why she's like crying, laughing sort of at the end, like it's over. It's that is like the one real bit of catharsis, I think in, the second half of Twin Peaks, let's say the movie and season three um, is this moment where she's there and Dale is there and the angel is there and everything is okay for her now, mm -hmm. at least for the time being, because her soul at least is safe. Um, but Bojack Horseman is very much the opposite. Bojack Horseman is a show that sets up things. It, like, it does the perfect set up remind payoff like things are set up at the beginning of this season that don't get paid off until the very end but they're constantly reminding you about it and you're like oh that's what that's all about you'll like you'll see a character pass by in the background of one scene literally and like, fly, fly through the fly air through the background of one scene and be like that was that character. What's going on? And then later on, you'll see, oh, that's why that character was flying through the air in that one scene. So it's perfect setup, remind, payoff. Um, so very well crafted. Like there is no excess. Everything in the show is building towards the separate storylines of the different characters with no filler really whatsoever, except for maybe Todd. Todd is kind of the t comic relief. Wait, but Todd, Todd in and of himself has, has a very a, has deep a character arc, yeah. and sustaining character arc. And each season has a very, like, there's, there's one thing that Bojack wants to get done, yeah. and he actually accomplishes that thing within each season. So the first season is he's going to write his autobiography. That happens. The second season is he's going to make his passion project that he always wants. That happens. Third season, going to win an Oscar. 
that doesn't happen, but he does get nominated. Yeah. And, you know, the fourth season is he's going to have a relationship with his daughter. Yeah. Um. So, and and also just there, there is such catharsis. Yeah. There's Every so... episode ends with oh my god like this em- like this huge like emotional gut punch. Huh? I'm getting too loud. Yeah. So it's it, the, every episode ends with this like ama- like incredible emotional gut punch and it's just kind of like oh oh that's why this character is terrible. Especially in this season it's very much like this season is really designed to have you hate Bojack's mother. Like Bojack's mother's always kind of been this like crotchety bitch but she does something that is probably one of the most evil things that happen in this show uh and basically destroy everything that's been going on in the season and then the very next episode is like here's why she did that here's the reason um and so is it a good reason it's it it makes you understand her a okay. lot more. Yeah. Like, it's still a terrible thing that she did, but, like, no, but worse things happened to her in her life, which is why she became this terrible bitch. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but in, so conversely, in the way that, like, Twin Peaks is about celebrating these good characters and we have these good characters. Yeah. And, and good can triumph in the world. world. Bojack is, like, let's take something, let's take a really evil happening or somebody that you perceive as evil. Now we're going to walk you back and explain what's happening. But not only that, but but where where Twin Peaks is very... Uh, oh, hold on. Okay. Where Twin Peaks is very much a the duality, the there is evil, there is good. Bojack is more... There is choice... And choices are good and evil. Choices define us, but we don't have any inherent characteristics. There's a lot about happiness and where there are a lot of characters uh, in Twin Peaks that are inherently happy, like Andy. Um, No one, except for Mr. Peanut Butter, is inherently happy in BoJack Horseman. No one, and instead everything is presented as there is choice and you can make a positive choice or a negative choice, but you have to make a choice. Yeah. And which kind of also in a way sort of like talks a lot about the cultural zeitgeist of the night, late 1980s and early nineties, especially in the early nineties when it's like so much about like there's good, there's evil. And look at us. We just triumphed over evil. We triumphed over the USSR. We triumphed over communism versus you know 2017 where it's like we'll we bring all... back communism what yeah. did we go wrong <laughs> yeah but but not only then but like how we perceive the world now how we perceive ourselves mm. as americans i i i feel is a very more like a bojack horseman kind of a world rather than <laughs> yeah. a twin Peaksy. Uh, yeah good's gonna uh, try him yeah you know? and and you know uh... I'm just so sleepy. <laughs> got no, all this work to do. I got, got all, all this Twin Peaks to talk about. about. Yeah, it's like I don't know. Like, like I'm I'm getting your explanations here, mm-hmm. and it's just kind of explaining more why I'm not as liking the new Twin Peaks. Okay. Mm. Um, and I'm I don't know. Okay, so 
the the point that well, I, I do want to make one more. Point, I do want to make one yeah. more point about uh, how, right. how they were opposite because Lisa made it a very good point that I hadn't considered about how like it's more about choice. It's more about like a mixture of good and bad. Whereas I was gonna say that like Twin Peaks, I think, is an inherently optimistic show. Like <laughs> no, and Bojack is and Bojack is not. So it's like it's this very so it's <laughs> it's it, they're they're so strange in how they kind of fit together because. Twin Peaks is very, like, obtuse and very strange and, like, surreal and creepy, but ultimately it has, like, a positive idea behind it. Whereas BoJack Horseman is, on its surface, very silly, kind of, a, like, a satire, like, more overtly a satire, at least, than Twin Peaks. Um, and all of this stuff, and that really... But at the end of the day, it, it takes a very negative view. Like even Mr. Peanut Butter has that line about like, you can't search for meaning. You have to like just uh, fill your mind with mindless nonsense, and then eventually you'll be dead. Like that's why <laughs> that, he's that's so the happy. summation yeah. of of BoJack Horseman. The themes of BoJack Horseman. Yeah. But in a lot of ways, it's also it also does have this art house kind of a twist in the animation, especially in season four. And um, the underwater episode of season three. Oh yeah! All right. So all right. I feel like we gotta we gotta bring this train home right. to the station. So, so Alex, so. sorry, I interrupted you. That's fine. Making. That's no, fine. No, no, my no, my idea is only like half formed. Anyway. Okay. But I was thinking about what you're saying, where it's like in Twin Peaks, there's there's the good and there's the evil, and the good triumphs. Yeah. And it's like I don't like that. Yeah, I, I don't like the fact that there's some kind of good and evil in the universe, and the good will on uh, will triumph with people's assistance. It, mm. It's like I don't know if it goes back to my interest in that kind of cosmic horror where yeah. the powers that be don't give a shit about humanity. That's kind of what I dig, but, but I but I, that's not what it is, and yeah. so I don't know yeah. what it is that drew me to the original Twin Peaks yeah. to begin with. Because yeah, the original Twin Peaks is pretty is also pretty explicit in like yeah no there's greater powers and they are trying to help Cooper like that is kind of explicitly shown throughout it like with the thing about where you know he's throwing the rocks at the milk jug yeah. there's like some other force that's acting upon that clearly because that is not a solid foundation for like investigation and yet it works mm -hmm. you know the giant comes in i will tell you three secrets and when those things come true i'll give you the ring back like, but i was always under the impression when i when before i had seen any of the the return or whatnot or i was just watching on my own i was always under the impression that what the giant is saying is is useful but not necessarily to be trusted mm. before i had seen the rest of it because it was always something where it's like these things are completely alien to us they've chosen these forms to kind of communicate with us yeah and what their goals are and what their meanings are ambiguous despite the fact that it may help in the short run i i feel like that is your personal world for you I mean, and your possibly, personal yeah. preferences yeah. filtering in with that I and my evidence possible. for this is in Twin Peaks The Return, you have who does who does the giant pick? He picks Andy. Mm -hmm. He sees the good in Andy. He appreciates the innocence of Andy and picks Andy to be what is the real Diane's caretaker. And so in that way, it's like I, I feel very strongly like the giant... The giant wants to tip no, no. tip the scales in the favor of humanity. I mean, you're right, and and that you're, I'm not saying that my world theory about that is correct. I'm mm -hmm. saying that it's wrong, oh. and okay. and that you know that and that being and wrong, that being wrong. You. No, it's it's it it's kind of what's turned me away from it, so to speak. Oh, okay, and so right. it's it's like that might explain 
my hesitation to fully jump on board. Perhaps. So, you know, there, there's I, that, I think. I mean, going. there's also, I mean, it is, it's a very difficult season to get into. Mm -hmm. um, it's very much like David Lynch knows what you want and he will not give it to you. <laughs> David Lynch is daddy dom. Okay. He knows what you want. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> David Lynch. Well, let's, let's, let's put a, a pin in that. Um, I, I'm sorry, uh, what is this? No, 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 no. Episode, We're just going to say that. Episode title right there. <laughs> but, but, you know, they tell parents, like, you got to give your child what they need and not what they want. Yeah. And I think that's kind of where Lynch is, is coming. I can see the argument that that's where Lynch is coming from. That's a different podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The, the right, X-rated let's, let's, For the second time, let's wrap this up. Let's okay. bring this train home. All right. So, yeah, no, I, I, I'm really in love with the latest season of Twin Peaks. I get why people are turned off by it. I get why people don't, don't like it. I might be reading too much into it. I'm perfectly willing to admit that I might be seeing things in it that aren't there, but I do think that there is something there. I don't think David Lynch spent four years writing about this for nothing. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. I, he is someone who like love him or hate him. He is a very intentional artist. Like he does things that are on purpose. They have meaning. They, yeah. There is always a hidden story to it, especially in Twin Peaks. Yeah. The trick is figuring it yeah. out. And one of, one of my favorite David Lynch stories, and I think we'll leave it here, is, um, and I've probably talked to both of you guys about this at some point, but I'll we'll, we'll, we'll recount it again for the listening audience. So David Lynch directed The Elephant Man. Uh, that was his first big movie after Eraserhead. Uh, the Elephant Man was produced by a certain Mel Brooks. That Mel Brooks yes. of he of Young Frankenstein and uh, Robin Hood Men in Tights. He produced the Elephant Man, and he hired on David Lynch to do to tell this story and to do it his way. Um, and David Lynch included at the be that beginning of that movie, like that movie is pretty well straightforward. I think it's probably other than the straight story the most um, sentimental, like overtly sentimental of David, uh, of David Lynch's work and the most like straightforward and easy to consume of his work mm -hmm. again, other than the straight story, which is even easier to understand and even, even more uh, sentimental. Um, and he does include at the beginning of it, one very weird dream sequence. Um, like right at the start to kind of set that like little, little David Lynch eraser head art house kind of feel to it. And Mel Brooks screen and, and David Lynch and, and you know, everyone else screened it and all the shareholders. Yeah. For the shareholders, for the investors in the movie. And the investors were like, that was good. You know, it was a really you know, beautiful story, really moving. I don't know so much about the, the dream sequence at the beginning, I'm afraid that people will get the wrong idea about what the movie's about. Can we cut it? And Mel Brooks essentially told them, look, we have entered into a business agreement, one in which you invest money and we create a product which will then be used to return your money to you with interest. 
that does not mean that we give a shit about what you have to say about art. <laughs> like, we were showing this to you to show you the extent to which we have finished creating the product that you have paid us to make. But you do not get to make creative decisions. <laughs> and so the that, that part of it, the weird David Lynchy dream sequence, stayed in the movie. And so I feel like that that's kind of the ultimate story of, like, here's how intentional he is. Like, here's the things that he wants to do. And other art, it's something that I, I think other artists recognize about him, believe, expect him or not, but it's, it isn't always something that's to be consumed for a mass audience, I don't think. Right. So check it out for yourself. I, I do strongly recommend it. I think it is absolutely wonderful. Uh, anyone else? Final thoughts? Go watch BoJack Horseman. Yeah, BoJack Horseman is also really good, but for very, very different reasons. Uh, I've got nothing. I've said everything I can think of. And, you know, again, this is something that might not be for everyone. I gave it the old college try. And I think it's, you know, it's, it's all right. It's, it's something that is not bad art by any stretch. But it might not be something I would watch a second time. Yeah. Unless I were to do it to try to map out all the timelines and find out what the <laughs> yeah. fuck's going on. We'll do it. We'll, 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 the, the DVD comes out December 4th. We'll make yeah. it happen. All right. All right, guys. Uh, well, ha- we hope that you've enjoyed this. Uh, we hope that we see you back again next time. Mm. We'll be probably talking more about overtly just horror two movies. Weeks. Yeah. And, yeah, and two weeks. When is... Uh, when is um, uh, Stranger Things, the new series. Uh, d- October twenty seventh. I okay, want to say. Okay, so probably not next time. Yeah, but maybe the time we'll, after we'll, that. We'll definitely be talking about Stranger Things at some point. I'm talking about Friday the thirteenth. We're gonna be talking about Halloween. Uh, so stick around. All right. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. All right. Have a week, everyone. My name's Alex. Oh, I'm Nick. I'm Elise, and this has been Some Nerds Have a Podcast. Good night, everybody. Take care. <laughs>